Acts 13, 36, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. There's lots of different ways you can say that, but basically it says that David served the purposes of God for his generation and then he transitioned. Uh, I always like to kind of see a big picture and then go into a small picture idea. I believe that this is the greatest time to be alive for God's people. And I believe that uh, there is already a birthing and already a pioneering spirit in God's people in this season for this hour. And that God has not left us without in this season. God has fully equipped us and fully made us, uh, fully, uh, made us uh, able to uh, see victory in the earth. Uh, I, I picked this up this morning. I never read this, but... Oral Roberts once said that when God is ready to do a new work in the earth, he causes a baby to be born. So the big picture is this global outpouring of the Holy Spirit that an antichrist spirit cannot stop. The battle, the battle is not the enemy in this season. The battle is the fight of faith and actually the ability, if you're a believer, to position your heart correctly. I believe it was, uh, I'll just say, I think it's August the 12th. I don't have it in my notes right now. August the 12th of last year, the Lord told me we're in a defining moment. And he, he really emphasized to me Numbers 13, where God says to the nation of Israel, it's time to go forth. I found it, I, I, I just am an observer of people, and I, and I noticed that some of the victory words that people were declaring before COVID, they stopped declaring. And I thought, if it's a real word from God, prophecy is our currency in this season. But Numbers 13, God says, it's time to go into the promised land. It's time to go in. The, the will of God was for them to go in. And of course, if you, you know the story, and I encourage you to read it this week, they, uh, they, they scout out the land. And what's very interesting is they say that uh, the majority of the scouts actually agree. Yeah, what God said is true. That's true. But these are giants in the land. And uh, if you understand that even about these people that they're talking about, they're not lying. They're not CNN watchers. What they're saying about those people is exactly true. But they, their problem was not the giant. Their problem was an inability to believe the word of the Lord to conquer the giants. That's always your problem. Most of the time, your problem is not your problem. The problem, and, and if you read Deuteronomy 1, where Moses kind of, kind of uh, he recaps actually what happened. He, he he actually says, and, and sometimes we, we, we can understand one-dimensionally what, uh, what um, rebellion against God is or disobedience to his word. We know this, don't do that, don't do that. And, and you know, don't, don't cheat on your wife, don't cheat on taxes, don't lie, you know, these things. But actually, it actually says there, he actually called their unbelief rebellion. Unbelief is rebellion against God. Why is it rebellion against God? Because anytime you choose not to trust the word of God in your life, you're saying, I can do it better without you. I say that again. <laughs> anytime you choose to not trust God in an area, you're saying, I can do it better without you. Probably one of the most ignorant things a believer can ever do is try and make it on their own financially. That's some... That's some really mentally ill stuff right there. So, what they, that, that was a defining moment, and those who positioned their heart correctly received what God had for them. And so how you position your heart right now is determining at least the next 10 to 12 years of your life. I don't get many amens by that. But really important, like, like, God is not the one defining your future. 
You're the one choosing if you're going to define your future according to God's intent. He's already, made, he's already gone to the end of your life like, I got everything taken care of, and you're the one who's going to decide. I did not write the book. Some people get mad at me. Deuteronomy 30, I have set before you, he's talking about himself, death and life. I'd like you to choose life, but it's your choice of how you're going to live. The sad part sometimes is some people are actually secretly offended and mad at God that he's not doing what they think he should be doing in their life. So that's the big picture. The small picture is how we live with purpose and intention on a daily basis. I, the beautiful thing is this, is God is writing history every day. Remember years ago, this really helped me... Uh, kind of think correctly, still working on it, but he said, I want you to live like your life is being recorded every moment, because it is. And I began to think about this concept many years ago, and the Lord's been un unwrapping it to me. Uh, I was getting ready to minister in India at a leaders conference. It was a really, really powerful time. And um, the Lord kind of like opened up to me, goes, you know, what's about to take place this morning didn't just happen. And he brought me back to my own family lineage of uh, uh, my father getting born again. My father escaped uh, Cuba in 1969. Nobody escapes into Cuba for their free health care. People think they're, try they're not trying to keep you out anymore. You know, they, they want you to go. Please leave, because the system we have in place can't help you. But he escaped uh, Cuba, and he's, he's, uh, he's told in communism there is no God. Isn't that funny? The people who tell you there's no God are the one who fight for it the most. There's one very famous person. Right? He's always talking about there's no God. No, you know there's a God. That's why he keeps saying there's no God. If there's no God, let me live in my delusion. Like, what do you care if I live crazy? But oh, no, there's no God. There's no God. There's no God. Don't force your morality on me. You know, what we're seeing right now is a forced morality on people. Everyone's got morality. It's just it's a godly morality, you know. This whole, this whole, even Christians say it too. Oh, you can't legislate morality. Morality is legislated every day. Yeah. When you get your paycheck, see how it's legislated. You've made a lot of money, so we're going to take it from you. That's morality legislated. And so the communists tell you there's no God, and he's sort of Catholic, but he is, he's in a tight spot. He's, they've, they've, they're on a rescue route. It's not going too well. They're, the communist soldiers are coming. And he goes, God, if there's a God, I'll give my life to you, and I'll serve you. But I need your help right now. And he encounters God. He knows he's encountered the living God. Anyway, God miraculous gets, gets him to the United States. Now he, 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 he's a man of his word. It's one thing I can say about my dad. He's a man of his word. So he's seeking God, going to Catholic. He's got like his whole, he's in his first year in the U.S. He's got his candles and stuff. He's Catholic, you know. And this, he ends up in a job training program. My dad's name is Angel, and there's an older man in this job training program named Angel. Remember, it's your job to serve your generation. My dad says, I think there's, there's that guy came specifically for me because he wasn't doing very good in the job training. What's the guy do? He goes, you need to come to my church. My dad goes, no, I'm like a Catholic church. Guy keeps asking him. You got to be really to, 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 to walk this thing out, right? You got to be bold and you got to eventually get what you don't care what people think. Not purposely rude, but just not care what people think. Yeah. Some of you, this is not, not forever, the person behind you. Some of you are still <laughs> stuck in the same place because you care what your family members think about you. So eventually, because guy kept asking him, he ends up, and he goes to this church building on a Saturday. And my dad thought they were nuts. The reason he thought they were nuts is he came, he, they didn't have service that day. He went to a wedding. And the reason he thought they were nuts, he said, what kind of people celebrate a wedding without alcohol? They're all crazy. <laughs> it's a true story. It's going to get better in a minute, though. This guy comes up to him, he goes, we don't have service today, but why don't you come tomorrow? 
He said, I was so freaked out, I got out. And he goes, and I was a single guy who needed a meal. But I got out because they had food and everything. He goes, aren't you going to stay and eat? No. He's freaked out. So he leaves and he wakes up the next morning and for what, he says, for whatever reason, I woke up and I go, I should go back to that church. Somebody's praying. Don't ever believe your prayers don't work. Part of the reason some of you don't pray is you don't realize how powerful it is. Not you, the person behind you. <laughs> so he goes to service, he ends up in Sunday school. Some of you don't know what that is. And the person keeps saying, somebody here needs to get born again. Somebody here needs to get born again. Somebody serving their generation in that day. He makes it through Sunday school. And then how many can testify to this one? He said, the man began to preach, and it was like, how does this man know my life? And then you know what's coming. I mean, he was Pentecostal, Spanish Pentecostal. So they're not going to let you leave without making a choice. I've been in usher, shut the doors. So he says, again, somebody here needs to get born again. And he says, slip up your hand if you want to get born again. My dad said in my mind, I said, don't lift up your hand. And his hand went up. <laughs> See, now we laugh. But we should believe for environments where people are like, no, nah, I don't want to. I'm serious. Finney called it. They, they said, it compelled us to come. We could not resist the preaching of the gospel. I said it this weekend. People are like, oh, people don't like going to long services and stuff. No, they don't just like coming to your boring thing. Because if God's there, they'll stay all day. That's all a bunch of lies. American lies. I'm not saying it's got to be long. But this whole thing, get them in and out. And they all leave stupid. So, forgive me. No, they all leave less ignorant. Ignorant, you know. Just give them a little word, you know. That wasn't nice. They all leave with less than the way they could have received. That's a little, like, there we go, leave it like that. Forgive me, Lord. It's processing that out loud. Usually there's a delete button on my word processor when I say things I shouldn't say. So he goes to the front. You know they're not going to let him stay in the back. It wasn't Baptist, it was Pentecostal. And he goes to the front and he thinks they're even more crazy because now they're like, they, he says the prayer. They go, you're our brother, you're mono. And he goes, they're crazy. I don't know any of these people. Now they're calling me their brother. And he goes back to his little studio, whatever apartment he had with his Catholic stuff. And he goes, he was very sincere. He said, God, this is, this is a little out there for me. He said, but if this is you, I'll stay here. He goes, this is me and they're going to teach you about me. And then, nobody told him about this. This is a true story. He looks in his refrigerator and he goes, he's got a bunch of beer in there. He had like a six pack. I don't need this anymore. Throws it out. I never saw alcohol in my home. You maybe can tempt me with other stuff, but you can't tempt me with alcohol. It's just not an issue in my life. I mean, you can do whatever you want, but... I, I, I have a, a very intense personality. I don't need to start drinking alcohol. <laughs> it won't end up in a good place. Yeah, you laugh, but one of the marks of growing in the Lord is actually to be self-aware. So history was wrote in my family, and then they began to disciple they were nice disciples then, but he knows some stuff today. They'd be like, okay, now that you're born again, you know, Wednesdays are fast day, Thursdays this. I mean, back then, I mean, my friend who just transitioned to be with the Lord, the day he got born again, this elder walked up to him at this church, preached, ended up preaching around the world. But he looked at him and he said, 
I'm elder so-and-so, and I'm going to disciple you now. He goes, I'll meet you here on Wednesday. Large church in Bakersfield, California. He goes, I'm going to meet you here on Wednesday. He goes, well, I have my own business and I work late. He goes, that would be a good day to finish early. <laughs> so he started showing up and meeting with this guy. And the guy, like on the second time they met, he goes, how much money do you make? He's like, how much money do you make? How much money? And he tells him. He goes, oh, this is what a tithe is. And he goes, you make good money. You should, be, you should be giving a lot more to the church. He goes, Abner, I got mad. And then I walked in the first service and the Lord said, don't ever come to the house of the Lord without an offering from me. And he did it the rest of his life. And like a few weeks later, this guy told him, he said to him, Ken, are you committing adultery against your wife? He goes, no. He goes, well, I look at, you know, Playboy. He goes, Ken, that's adultery. Well, you don't know anything. Because some of you are like, oh, I know that. You don't know that if you just got born again. He goes, I, I just, something I watch. And he goes, I got all mad at the guy. He goes, then I bought the next copy I had. Then I threw it out the window, grabbed it. And then God goes, don't ever look at that again. He said, I've never looked at it again. The reason I'm saying that is, not only they get saved, but my dad got discipled. I've learned that some people can't be properly discipled in the way that God wants them to because they want to keep being an American. It might not be the, you know, I don't know if I would use that technique, but the reason I'm saying that is somebody cared enough to care for my friend Ken, who I don't know if the guy knew, Ken would end up having an international ministry that went around the world. He cared enough about him. He served this generation. So, we're here today. It didn't just happen. This just didn't come together. God is writing all these stories individually. Later, he meets my mom, and then probably the greatest joy of their life was having me. That's the story I'm going with, at least. So it's your job to serve your generation and write history with God on a daily basis. Here's something really important. We get judged for what we're called to do, not for what we're doing. We get judged for what God called us to do, not with what we're doing. Some people's lives are so complicated and they're worn out because they're doing stuff God never called them to do. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each, may, each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, and we are all well-known to God. And I also trust our well-known in your consciousness. Here's a second thought. People who serve their generation well choose to recognize they're no longer a victim and have taken responsibility for the purpose of God for their lives. You are responsible for fulfilling the purpose for which God has brought you to earth. And I use that term victim because I, I, I like to observe things scripturally in people, but the ability to move past difficulty and trauma is one of the marks of people who fulfill the high call. One of the great people in history that I, I just esteem is, is Catherine Kuhlman. If you know part of her story, she's a young lady, gets born again and starts traveling and, and eventually starts a church in Denver, Colorado. And uh, in this church, uh, it grows, I think, into the thousands in, in, in uh, early 70s, which is phenomenal even today. And it grows, and then something happens tragically. She meets a man, and everyone in, the, everyone in that generation wanted to preach in her church. She was Catherine. She meets this man, and he, he begins to pursue her, and she falls in love with him. The only problem was is he was married already. And he convinced her 
as a young, as a young, uh, 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 young lady that it really wasn't a marriage because he never was really in love with his wife. She ends up marrying him. And she faints even before she says, I do. That might be a good sign that you don't need to get, get married. And all her contemporaries tell her, don't do it. This is not a good idea. This is, God is not in this. She marries him anyway and goes into this seven-year decline. The church dies. He tells her to sit down and be quiet. Doesn't let her minister. She ends up in California. And uh, the story, historical, is she, uh, she's at the, the, the grave of Amy Simple McPherson. This grandma comes and brings this child. She goes, I want you to see the woman who led our entire family to the Lord. And she leaves that place and goes, God, all I have is my life. And I, I'm just giving you my whole life from this day forward. And God speaks to her. He goes, well, as a matter of fact, there's a healing anointing that I wanted to give, I think, to at least two other men, and they didn't want it. So she goes back into ministry. Not easy. Not easy. That's an American thing. I'm not saying like, but if you want to walk in the will of God, you're going to have to do things you've never done before, and it won't be easy. It will require not part of your life, but all of your life. Some of maybe what's coming, some of you might not be a part because you have other interests. So she starts preaching again, and they would find out she's divorced, and they would, she'd preach one night, and they'd go, ah, I can't preach here anymore. They'd call her Jezebel. One man stood up and told her she's a false prophet. She ends up at a church in Pittsburgh, and She's ministering, doing some meetings there. Uh, nothing spectacular in a sense that we, we know her for today. And uh, they come to her the last night. They said, we've been praying. And the Lord has told us, you're our next pastor. She goes, no, you don't want me. You don't know my past. And they said, we don't know that old, that, that, that version of Catherine you're talking about. All we know about is the one we see now. So she starts pastoring this little church. She never saw any healings until she began to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. Her assistant tells her, you need to get out of this town, you need to go to Pittsburgh. She goes, the only way I'm going to Pittsburgh is if this church falls down. That night, a snowstorm comes and the roof caves. Tommy Reed says, I have still never seen anything like what was in that woman's ministry. For two hours, she would talk and she was having a conversation one night in Buffalo with the Lord. And it was like, oh, you're all here. And the healings that would happen historically, they asked her to stop coming through the public terminal in Pittsburgh because everywhere she would go, people would fall out under the power of God. She had to overcome some stuff. Reporter asked her the last part of her life, have you ever seen Jesus? No, I've never seen him. Imagine that. Right? The, the best was the follow-up question. What will you say when you see him? I'm going to tell him I did my best. People who fulfill their purpose in serving their generation choose. It's a choice. You know, joy is a choice. What to do with disappointment is a choice. I'm not saying you like, oh, I really like that this happened. It's not what I'm saying. It's a choice in that moment where you're going to choose to do. It's a choice to leave here today. Even if you walk through something challenging and something prophetically was released, that you, no, I'm going to choose to believe this. That's a choice that only you can make. I just want to encourage you. Some of you need to be delivered of coming in this room and feeling better on Sunday, but then going back to a hell in your car. That's not the will of God. Therefore, my beloved brethren, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here's a third point. People who 
serve the purposes of God for their generation live intentional lives. They manage time well. Time is a currency. I don't believe in such a thing as a balanced life. That's, that's an American creation. If I choose to run a marathon tomorrow, there are other things in my life that will not, I cannot do. Because I'll have to train for that marathon. That is a currency there. Paul instructed the church at Ephesus, right? He said, so then be careful how you walk. Some translations, not as fools, but as wise. He's talking to believers. Making the most of your time because of the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. People who serve their generation well learn to live as friends of God. One of the fruits of learning to live as a friend of God is you are not defined by cultural norms. The important part about that is, and I'm, and I'm not saying some aspects of it, there, there's certainly uh, good truth that comes out of some of our culture, but often to live in the high call and to do everything that God has asked you to do, you will have to disregard certain things that you believe are vitally important to live your life. I have a friend in North Dakota. I'm not saying God's going to ask you to do this. See, everyone's got a different choice sometimes they've got to make. He told me years ago. He said, Abner, he's still pastoring this church in North Dakota. He goes, Abner, the Lord has told me I'll never own my own house. All right, sir, greatest investment. You know, if you're, and all that's true. Just not true for him. If you're waiting to do the will of God when you retire, you are sadly mistaken. And we spiritualize it, right? Oh, you know, you know, I've worked real hard, and then I'll have this, and I'll just do, 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 do what the Lord has me to do. No, it might free up your time, but if you're not doing it now, you'll probably never do it. There's a good, famous John Bevere story, right? He's working at IBM. That's a brilliant man, by the way, and uh, engineering degree from Purdue, and they're, they're celebrating this guy's retirement. And uh, he looks at the guy, he goes, well, what are you going to do now? He goes, oh, I've hated working here all these years. I have lived my entire life to get to this moment to do what I want to do. He was dead within 24 hours. Imagine that. Somebody was more disciplined to live his purpose for his life than some believers are. That's a lot of discipline to live miserable for 25 years of your life to get to do what you want to do. You got quiet with that one. I, I, I look at it as a learning experience. This is the shortest part of your existence. What the guy didn't realize is he was dead already. To be outside of God is to be dead. Here's some other characteristics of friends of God. They're given impossible tasks. Your life purpose should be completely impossible without God's intervention. There is no way Joseph can fulfill Genesis 37, the dream of God over his life. There's no way he can do it. All he can do is put to practice the practices of the covenant he was prosperous when another man owned him. He's a blessing wherever he goes. Trusting God can only, only God could fulfill those things. There's no way David can fulfill the purpose of God over his life. There is no resume you put in to be the king of Israel. I want to suggest to you, that if you're not being constantly stretched to do impossible things, I want to suggest to you, you may not be fully in the will of God. Because if you can do it on your own, why would you need God? And there's two different aspects 
that you see with these friends of God in the Bible that do impossible things. One is Genesis 25 and Moses. Genesis 25, 9, he tells them, he says, build me a tabernacle exactly like I command you. Another characteristic of a friends of God, they honor the word of God. When God speaks in your purpose, you can never question what he's asking you to do. God has never asked me my opinion on certain things. So an honor for the word. But then there's this other side of being a friend of God. It's David. It's a beautiful thing. David one day is, is, is looking at where the Ark of the Covenant is. It's in a tent. And he goes, God, I got a really nice house. MTV Cribs house. And lots of wives. I don't even remember all their names. That's no, true. It's a Bible. You should read it. Some of you are looking at me strange. It's in the Bible. We sanitize it sometimes, right? There's some interesting things. Esther was for such a time as this, but there was a little more involved in such a time as this than we like to think. But... <laughs> He goes, God, I'm living here. You're living there. I want to build a temple for you. First, the prophet goes, do all that's in your heart. Then he comes back, oh, you shed too much blood. But if you put everything in order, it'll be something that your son completes. So he puts millions of his own dollars. He was a millionaire. Billionaire probably would have been considered a billionaire for this time. They probably would have wrote nasty articles about him in Christian websites. Some of you would have said, why does he need all that to build something for God? Never ever judge something you don't understand. A lot of people criticize Brother Copeland for having a plane. He was the only one sending a plane to rescue refugees. What if God told them to buy that plane to help refugees. Some people are so I'm not giving that. Shows how small you are. Ah, very unfiltered today. I feel, whoa, got some things off my chest. Whew, I am at home. I feel like I'm having coffee with my parents. Some people come and watch us have conversations. Are you arguing? No, we're talking. Getting some things that we're airing some, we're airing our grievances, as they said in Seinfeld, you know. We're reasoning together. The rest of his life, but catch something, God tells him he's not going to be alive when the temple is completed. And he keeps saying the whole time, though, I'm going to build a temple for God. I'm going to build a temple for God knowing he's not going to be in the earth when he completes it. The reason I'm saying that is I, want to, there's, I don't have all the language for it, but we're living in a period of time where we're answering the prayers and the prophecies of another generation. And then Solomon dedicates his temple. You know, it's very interesting. The reason I brought up the two scenarios is the glory of God comes when they finish the tabernacle of Moses, and then the glory of God comes when they build the temple. Same manner, it comes, can't stand. When Solomon dedicates it, you'll not find one scripture where it said, God told David, thus saith God, build me a temple. He says, it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the Lord. Why? The point is not that David did what he wanted. The point is that David was a man after God's own heart. And because of that, there was a creative release where he said, God, I want to build something for you. And God goes, that's a great idea, David. I'm going to put my glory in it. When you're a friend of God, you, you, you understand you have this privilege of creating things in the earth that God will put his glory on, and you don't need a word to do it. So I'll land the plane with this one. 
when you serve the purposes of God for your generation, you may leave the earth, but your choices never do. And the revelation that God gives you, the next generation has the privilege of capturing that inheritance. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The Lord God keeps certain things hidden, but He makes other things known to us and our children forever. He does it so we can obey all the words of this law. I'll give you two examples, and we'll land the plane. I never uh, desired to be in ministry. This is not a job to me. I don't do it because I needed a career. It's the furthest thing from my mind. But I do it with all my heart. And I'm not doing God a favor by doing it. Do it with all my heart. But my grandfather was a minister of the gospel. And I believe that when I began to say yes to the purposes of God, God began to give me graces and things that he walked out in his life. Many of the graces on my life are not the result of my own choices. Now, I've had to make certain choices to steward that. But I stepped into something that had nothing to do with me on the earth. Many times when I'm in Puerto Rico, people will come up to me who've heard my grandfather preach or were in his churches, he planted churches. I have a great history in the supernatural. They look at me and they go, you, you teach exactly like your grandfather. You have the same mannerisms as him. We were not really close in life. He prayed for me, I knew him, but it wasn't a very close relationship. So I captured something. And the Lord has spoken to me a number of things that I'm, I'm plying through right now in my own ministry where he said, your grandfather broke through in these areas, but he didn't break through in these areas. And I need you, I'm going to teach you how to break through in these areas. So you actually leave a generation in your own family in debt when you don't leave doing your purpose. You actually leave people in deficit. The things that God was supposed to reveal to you, the truths, the breakthrough, the prosperity that God wanted to give to you. If you don't fully live it out, the next generation goes, okay. We live in deficit. So it's our job to serve our generation. And serving your generation always has to do with your family, your children's children. God does not think American. He's thinking about 75 years ahead of what's about to take place at New Day Church of the High Point. Close with my favorite. And because, unfortunately, a lot of people in our generation have never even heard of him. Oral Roberts. Teenager. If God speaks to him, he's on a deathbed. Build me a university. Build it on my authority and the Holy Spirit. Tells him when he's a teenager. Tuberculosis. If all he was remembered was for, as a healing evangelist, you'd remember him forever. If all he was remembered for being a pioneer in media, you'd remember him forever. But there's probably someone you don't really remember. It's that when he's on the deathbed, his brother goes, Oral, I'm taking you to a meeting tonight. You probably don't remember the evangelist that prayed for him that got healed. He's probably not in many church history books, but heaven remembers him. Gets healed that night. God raises him up. Actually had a church not too far from here in Fuquay. I encourage you, YouTube some of his messages. 
His dad would tell him, Oral, you're going to be a preacher of the gospel. And he had a stutter. He wanted to be governor of Oklahoma. And the uncle would say, stop, stop messing with that kid. That kid is never going to be a preacher. That man was a statesman. His message, the fourth man, is still worth listening today. One of the largest tents, the reason they had tents, they didn't have big auditoriums big enough. They would introduce him, God's man of faith and power. And the anointing on that man, sometimes he would pray for thousands, right just far from here. They had a whole tent bigger than this just with the sick, not the crowd. And we come in and pray for him. Brother Copeland says, I never heard anyone pray for the sick like that until I heard of it. He said, he was like, in the name of... And he said it was like a lion roared. He was the first one to bring cameras into the tent. They told him he can't do it. The reason they called him a Hollywood preacher was because the Pentecostals didn't want to mess with the Hollywood people. But he went to Iowa and they said, you can't do this. He goes, you don't think I have enough money? So he put the cameras in the tents. Then God tells him to build the university. His contemporaries goes, what are you doing? You're an evangelist. You're, the people thought he was crazy. One of the controversial things about ORU was in the accreditation phase, he wanted to put a prayer tower in the middle of campus. He says, it's going in the middle of campus. That's what God told me. $2 million back then in 1968. And they thought, you'll never get accreditation. There, there might not, you might not get accreditation if you put that prayer tower. God is at the center. Miraculously, he told, he's crying out to God one day. I don't know how to do this. He goes, build it like I built, I created the world with words. Yeah, come on. And he would pray in tongues and God would go, this is where the student center is going to be. This is where this is going to be. This is where that's going to be. Miraculous story. There was nothing on that side of Tulsa. Then he recognizes that that phase is shifting. The, the tent ministry is shifting. I'm almost through, sort of. But you usually still worship me by now, so I'm taking my time. <laughs> it's a good story, too. You should tell, tell your kids about it. God tells them to go on TV. I want you to go. There, three channels. Three channels. No YouTube, no anything, no live stream. You can't just do Go on TV. Three channels on prime time. Think five days a week. It was very difficult to get airtime then. God's got a way of doing stuff. The man who was in charge of his media liked Rolls Royces. So he goes to a Rolls Royce show on a Sunday afternoon. It's closing up, and he's looking at this car, and the man, he starts a conversation with this man, and the man says, well, what do you do? He goes, I work for Oral Roberts Evangelistic Association. And the guy gets all upset. He goes, do you know who I am? He goes, no, I don't know who you are. I just like Rolls Royces. It was the man who had the power to choose who got airtime. So he thought, like, maybe this guy showed up to, because he knew Oral wanted time. Within 24 hours, Oral had primetime television. And he would come on, and he would say, Something good is going to happen to you. Still remember? Now, you're clapping. Most of you, like, you've, you've been told 80 times since you walked into the service today that God is good. Back then, that was revolutionary. Oral said, when I would say this, in the, when I would say, he said, I would stand up and I would say, God is a good God. He said, the, the, the average man would come alive. And he said, all the preachers on the platform would want to, Knife me in the back because I said, God can't be that good. You, you don't realize how far you... See, you have pioneers. Do you know, Pentecostals, when they started out, and you can mock Pentecostals all you want, but we wouldn't be here without them. We wouldn't be here without Martin Luther. He didn't talk in tongues. Well, you say that to me. I don't read stuff by unspirit-filled people. Well, you're ignorant. Got that off my chest now, too. They would try and take people's children. Welfare service would say, these people are crazy. This is the price they pay. When he built this university, 
Pentecostals, their, their theology, there's a truth to this, but it wasn't a complete truth. All you need, brothers, is the anointing. You don't need that study stuff. So the media campaign when ORU started was, come to ORU, get your learning, and keep your burning. <laughs> that was a true story. But when he said that God is a good God, it was revolutionary for its time. They had never heard that message that God could be good. What you, like some of that generation grew up, if they did not get beat up when they went to church, they didn't think they were a good believer. That's why they got saved every week. You laugh, but that's how they grew up. And then he would say, a miracle is going to happen for you. You know, I tell you that. Because he left this earth well. He'd fallen down, I think, at 91. And um, he's in the hospital. He lived in Southern California, last part of his life. They crucified that man. At the end of his life, he said, I will have the last word because it will be what stands at Oral Roberts University. He's worshiping the Lord. You know what he's doing? Last two days of his life, he is worshiping to the songs they sang in the tent. And they're a little upset because he's making noise because he's Pentecostal. They said, can you please tell your father to be quiet? So Richard, I believe, goes in. His dad... It's a hospital. You've got to kind of keep that. I'm not being quiet. You don't tell all Roberts to be quiet. You know? He goes, why, Dad? He goes, the Lord has told me I've done what he's asked me to do. And I'm leaving. Less than 48 hours, he was in heaven. That's a good death. You want to have a good death. Here's the word that God gave him that's still being applied today. Raise up my students to hear my voice, to go where my light is seen dim. My voice is heard small and my healing power is not known, even to the uttermost bounds of the earth. Their work will exceed yours and in this I am well pleased. That prophecy is still for every ORU student. It's still in the earth because one man said yes to it. I was um, actually been thinking about this because I've had two friends recently transition to be with the Lord. One, I noted one thing that was said that jumped out to me. One person stood up and said, Pastor Clyde, why are you always talking about Jesus to everyone you meet? He goes, I wasted so much time in my life. I can't waste any more time. And then a few weeks ago, I was ministering for a friend of mine. His, his wife transitioned. And um, when I was teaching, it was like I could see her looking down into the meeting to see if we were going to continue the work that God showed her we would do. About a year, it's probably been a year ago, the Lord spoke to me again about my grandfather and he said, you know, your grandfather was very frustrated at the end of his life. Not mad at me, but just a little, eh, he said a little frustrated, really. Not. I said, well, why was he frustrated? He goes, because he knew that I had spoken to him certain things. He knew that, I knew, he, knew that he had the word of the Lord on certain things. But he, he knew that he was going to leave the earth without seeing them. He goes, I've allowed him to see that you fulfilled some of the things I told him. They're not dead. I'll close with this. All these people were praised because they had faith, but none of them received what God had promised.
promise. That's because God had planned something better for us. Catch this part. So that they would only be made perfect together with us. Jesus said that Abraham saw the coming of Jesus and was glad. John 8. If you believe something and you see it and you make the choices that God asks you to make, you get credit as though you lived in the earth when it actually takes place. The first, one of the first creeds they taught believers was this concept of the church in heaven and the church on the earth. I believe in the communion of the saints, those in heaven and those on the earth. Lord, we thank you Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for being attentive and thanks for letting me take my time this morning. Hey, if you just received this word, one, two, three, just stand at your feet. Increase your presence, Holy Spirit. say yes to the word of God today. I'm just going to count to three and just all across this room, just say yes and just lift your hands. One, two, three. And I believe that there is a, an impartation of fire here today. If you just want to receive just the fire of God, the presence of God to add to your purpose today. And there's great breakthrough here today. There's great, great breakthrough here today. Just going to count to three and I just encourage you to come to this altar area today. One, two, three, just come. Come.